Welcome to Radio Curious. I'm assistant producer Angie Voiles-Ascom, sitting in for Barry Vogel. This is the third conversation in our series on near-term human extinction, which Barry has called the most disturbing group of interviews he's had in the history of Radio Curious. On today's program, we'll consider how we can each personally deal with this impossible problem, and how an understanding of hospice can help guide the way we interact with our communities and our planet. Our guest is Dr. Carolyn Baker, co-author with Dr. Guy R. McPherson of Extinction Dialogues, How to Live with Death in Mind. She's also the author of Love in the Age of Ecological Apocalypse, Cultivating the Relationships We Need to Thrive. As an author and psychotherapist, Dr. Baker discusses the importance of emotional and spiritual preparedness for the cataclysmic changes that abrupt climate change will bring. As you listen to this interview, consider how you could incorporate Dr. Baker's advice into your own life and how the hospice concept, taking the time to interact with loved ones, enjoy nature, and be mindful, can give meaning to your time on Earth in the face of human extinction. Here's our host, Barry Vogel. Extinction Dialogues presents credible scientific evidence that global warming is now pushing our planet to a swift apocalyptic end more rapidly than we comprehend. This includes the extinction of the human species. In the second half of their book, Baker encourages and recommends a hospice approach. When Carolyn Baker and I spoke on September 20th, 2015, from her home in Boulder, Colorado, we discussed ways to practice hospice as the Earth's temperature increases to a point at which humans will no longer endure. We began our conversation when I asked her how hospice treatment can be applied to the dying planet. We are now in a planetary rite of passage. Uh, and all rites of passage, if you think about the origin of, of that concept that goes back thousands of years with indigenous people, um, all rites of passage, or you could say initiations, involve some sort of ordeal. The person goes through this ordeal of some sort that causes him or her to reach deep down into the psyche and find out who's really there. And so what I see happening right now, and Charles Eisenstein also writes about this in his work, is uh, I see us as in the midst of a planetary rite of passage or initiation. And therefore, what I think we need to do is to allow this crisis to be a doorway to the transformation of consciousness by staying with two questions. Who do I want to be during this rite of passage? And what did I come here to do? The crisis is forcing us to experience and express our deeper humanity. And Joseph Campbell said that it's by going down into the abyss that we recover the treasures of life. And I think a hospice perspective uh, can be valuable uh, in terms of just keeping us very much in touch with not only death, but life. You, you talk about a doorway from one portion to another. 
Let's focus on that doorway, and particularly for some of our listeners who may not have heard uh, part one or part two of this series with uh, Professor Guy McPherson. Okay, it's a doorway to really discovering who we are at our core. Um, The minute you read the science that is in uh, Extinction Dialogues, especially if you stay with it, and I I personally think Chapter 2 is nothing less than horrifying. Uh, If you really read that science, and then you read other climate science that's going on, you hear uh, every day now, um, you can't uh, can't avoid the term extinction. Everybody's talking about extinction. And um, the moment you read that science, um, you're going to have some emotions. I know you told me that the the interview with Guy was one of the most difficult you've ever done. So you're going to have some emotions like fear, uh, grief, despair, anger, um, all of these. And what my work is about is using those emotions and, and that whole existential dilemma that invariably comes up to take us into the next layer of who we are, which is, yeah, who am I? And who do I want to be during this rite of passage? What did I come here to do? I am more than just brain and blood and mind and ego. You know, there's something more inside of me. There's something greater. Carolyn, you talk about the reward of accepting reality of near-term extinction is liberating, even as it's uh, agonizing uh, or terrifying. Um, Can we talk about that reward? Sure. In my conversations about this book, people don't want to accept it. But uh, scientifically, I think it's a foregone conclusion in the near term. So we're looking at accepting this, uh, making it part of the reality of humans here on Earth now, today, 2015. And that is precisely what I mean by by going through this doorway and allowing consciousness to be transformed, because as we go with these emotions instead of against them, oh, I'm not going to look at that, that's too horrifying, I don't want to be uncomfortable. Um, As we open to these emotions, and particularly as we include the possibility of death, we come to a place of acceptance. I mean, it does go back in some sense to uh, Kubler-Ross's stages of grief. We come to a place of acceptance. doesn't mean we like it, you know. Um, We can hate it and be sad about it or whatever we feel, but we come to a place of, of acceptance and we stop resisting this reality. Carolyn, you talk about the reward of accepting reality of near-term extinction is liberating, but getting to the doorway of accepting that reality is the question. You know, I've been doing the work that I'm doing now for the last seven years, but more specifically in the context of near-term human extinction for the last two or three years. And it is by opening to these emotions and utilizing them as tools to help us come to this place of acceptance. It's the same as if you're losing a relative to a terminal illness. Uh, It's the same as if you've been diagnosed yourself. It's the same as if you've lost a body part. Um, This is a process that we go through that this culture is is very unfamiliar with because we are so grief-phobic. 
um, that we don't allow ourselves to go there. In terms of opening those emotions and and conscious grieving, as you call it, uh, you talk about how the release of grief leads to deepening of joy. The deeper the sorrow, the greater the joy. Can you amplify on that? Absolutely. As I said, we are very grief-phobic in this culture because we haven't learned what many indigenous people have known for thousands of years, which is that grief uh, is, is a superb doorway to our wholeness. Um, and that conscious grieving really opens us to who we are, and particularly in the context of, you know, when we do it with other people, um, we are supported, and there's a hugely deeper connection with others, uh, which I find in all of the grief workshops that I do, um, people go deep within themselves and they go deep with each other. And as a result, uh, we feel much more joy and we're energized because we're no longer using lots of energy to keep the grief at bay. Um, I say never underestimate the power of heartbreak. How do we open that door to people that uh, have a phobia towards grief? Well, they need to be supported. Um, There are many uh, ways, many tools Uh, that we can use to help people be willing to explore and sort of dip their toes into the water uh, of going deeper into the waters of grief. What are some of those specific tools that could be used? Well, we have to understand, first of all, that grief is our friend. It's not our enemy. Um, There is so much fear in this culture that, oh, if I grieve for too long, I'll become clinically depressed. Um, I'll be a drag to be around, I'll become obsessed with grief, I won't want to do anything else. And people need to be educated to the fact that, you know, grief is just another emotion. And in the word emotion is the word motion. You know, emotions come and go, they change, they don't stay permanently. Um, And if we can open to them and allow them, then we can taste them a little bit and then they go and they turn into something else. Especially the key, though, is to get support, either with a one-on-one grief counselor like myself or in a workshop setting where you have other folks that are doing the same thing. Um, And once you have that container for doing the grief work, uh, it becomes not only safer but much easier. Moving towards that uh, takes a realization that something happened a death of a relative, a friend, or the concept of near-term human extinction. But in the grief-phobic culture that you describe, uh, in in which we live here in the United States and perhaps in other Western cultures, um, it's hard to see outside of the box within which we live. How does one see the grief whether they have experienced it and don't realize it, or whether it's in the abstract uh, but pending, as in a near-term human extinction? Well, I don't know any human being who doesn't have an experience of loss. Um, you know, we, we have all lost things. We, you know, we often feel intense grief when we lose a relationship. We go through a divorce. Um, people have lost body parts, as I said a moment ago, or people have lost relatives to death. People have lost uh, 
homes in foreclosures. People have had to declare bankruptcy. Um, the list of losses in our culture is endless. And, you know, if we are open to the emotions of those losses, we're going to tap into grief right away. It's not like it's a million miles away. It's as close as our next breath. Many people, uh, in my experience in doing the, the legal work that I do, are afraid of opening those emotions. In, in my work as an estate planner, people uh, can decide uh, who should get what of their property, but they can't take on what should be done with their remains after death, nor can they take on the importance of a health care power of attorney that would control the palliative care that uh, one would receive uh, in a near-death time of the life. And this goes back to what you characterize as grief-phobic. And you talk about the need for emotional literacy and communication skill development in preparing for and, and navigating the collapse of industrial civilization in near-term extinction. Well, absolutely. And we don't have that in this culture. Um, that's part of what my work is about. Francis Weller, as I mentioned, Stephen Jenkinson, there are many other folks. Um, it's so much easier to fight about who's going to get the inheritance than it is to feel into, oh, my God, what about my remains? Oh, my God, what about my power of attorney? To feel those feelings. We, we have no support in this culture for feeling feelings. We are what Francis Willer calls a flatline culture. Um, it's really not okay to get angry. It's really not okay to feel grief or to feel despair, um, or even to feel joy or happiness too much. You're supposed to just kind of be this flatline person who just hums along going through life in a, in a gray, colorless kind of way. That's acceptable. Uh, but, there, you know, if you get into the color of emotions, then people start thinking, well, you know, that person's a little edgy, maybe a little uh, loose cannon-type person. Um, and, and it becomes very suspicious. So we don't have much permission in this culture to feel much of anything. Does that call for self-initiated permission to do that? Yeah, uh, self-initiated permission, absolutely, to educate oneself, uh, uh, you know, and create and emotional intelligence within oneself, but also to seek out people, other folks who understand this and why this is important. Uh, because no one can go through uh, this time of planetary unraveling by themselves. We need support. So whether it's uh, in, in person in our community or it's on a Facebook support group or wherever, um, to get the support we need to cultivate this emotional intelligence, to grieve, uh, and to, to really be with these feelings and allow them to, to bring us to this doorway of transformation. Well, Carolyn Baker, I'd like you to give us some concepts uh, that our listeners may follow to open that door, some specific things that they could do. But before we do that, I want to say that in this edition of Radio Curious, we're visiting with Carolyn Baker. She's a retired professor and psychotherapist and co-author with Professor Guy McPherson, and they're authors of Extinction Dialogues, How to Live with Death in Mind. You are listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel.
Carolyn, it's those tools. Absolutely. Can you suggest the tools that individuals could use to get in touch with the grief if they feel that there's something going on and they don't know how to do it uh, or something else that is nagging at them, the death of a friend, a parent, a divorce? Yes. Uh, The first is don't resist the rite of passage. Whatever the loss is, um, go with it. When you're in a meltdown, your job is to melt down, or as the Buddhists say, when you're falling, dive. At least be open to, this is a rite of passage that has doorways in it. Um, If you don't, secondly, if you don't have some kind of spiritual practice, get one. Uh, Even if you identify as an atheist, you can take a reverent, contemplative approach to nature and reverently spend time in it, contemplating it, Uh, not gardening, hiking, biking, rock climbing, or doing anything except communing with nature, with the senses and the emotions. Um, And then opening up to the emotions. A wonderful book that I like to recommend is Dark Emotions, Miriam Greenspan. You can Google that and get it just about anywhere. Fourthly, practice gratitude, not just for the big things, but especially little things, because we take all of life for granted, forgetting that life is granted to us by the mystery that's at our core. Appreciate and create beauty as often as possible. Revel in music, art, poetry, dance, and other forms of expression. Get involved in some kind of service in your community. Work with animals, the homeless, children, the elderly. The best way to choose this service is to follow what most breaks your heart in the world and get involved there. Um, Commit also to doing shadow work. The shadow is part of us that we say is not me. Oh, it's not me. You know, other people are dishonest, not me. Other people are racist, not me. Other people are greedy or consumeristic, but not me. There's a personal and a collective shadow that all of us need to deal with. My next book, which is coming out next month, is called Dark Gold, The Human Shadow and the Global Crisis. It's a toolkit for doing shadow work. Carl Jung said that 80% of the shadow is pure gold. And if we're willing to mine the dark energies of the shadow, we're guaranteed to find the gold within them. Carolyn Baker, uh, you have a section called Responding to the Message in the Madness, uh, the madness being uh, near-term human extinction. And you connect that to the hospice concept for ourselves and the rest of humanity and our planet Earth. Can you talk about that, ways to respond to the madness? Yes. Well, I just gave a bunch of tools uh, a moment ago, but in the book, um, uh, if you are able and willing to enter this hospice perspective, and I suspect that it's going to take a little bit of using the tools I talked about earlier and allowing yourself to do some grief work, um, I say, first of all, be willing to recognize that you're now a patient in hospice. Uh, you could begin to look at our situation in that way. Um, you have only a certain amount of time to continue living on this planet, as we all do, whether we're in hospice or not. Secondly, begin living your life as a hospice patient might because no other way of living makes any, any sense any longer. Every relationship, every act, every experience is deeply meaningful. Live as if it were the last one. 
thirdly, commit. Uh, before you get on to number three, when you say living your life as a hospice patient because there's no, no other way makes any sense, that creates an assumption for people uh, to absorb who may not agree with no other way makes any sense. Uh, they're content in, in how they've lived as a participant in the industrial civilization that surrounds us. Well, yeah, and so you have to come to a place of really looking at um, what is that industrial civilization that I've been part of? How much do I want to continue to be part of it? You know, a guy wrote a book called Walking Away from Empire. How much do I want to involve myself with the values of this culture and the values that have taken our planet to the edge of extinction? So if I want to buy out of those, there are certain ways I need to live, and those are very much like being in hospice. You know, I think living like you're in hospice is a good way to live no matter what's happening to the planet. That's, a, that's an important distinction as I hear it. But there's some additional ones. Maybe you could select a few of uh, what an individual could do in responding to the message in the madness. Sure. And the next one, as I mentioned in the tools I gave earlier, is commit to a time of self-reflection daily, journaling, meditating, um, and contemplating nature. Um, Also, make a list of people that you would like to make amends to, people that you've harmed in your life. If you can make amends to them in person, fine. If you can't, at least write a letter that you're not going to send. Um, Make a list of people you want to thank for what they've contributed to your life. Immerse yourself in love, both giving it and receiving it. Well, Carolyn Baker, let's look at this from a different perspective. You mentioned the indigenous tribes in North America, and you make reference to the tribes of Burkina Faso, have a different perspective about death than um, what you characterize are the grief-phobic people of industrial civilization. And the distinction that I'd like you to make is how did it change from the indigenous approach to life compared to the approach to life shared by so many people of industrialized civilization? Sure. Well, first of all, I want to make clear that there is no the indigenous perspective. There are many, many indigenous perspectives. And I don't want to romanticize or idealize indigenous people because they all have their own problems. Um, But uh, by and large, indigenous peoples have been and many continue to be deeply, intimately connected with the earth, Um, much more right-brained than we are as opposed to linear thinking. And I believe that much of what changed happened during the Enlightenment. Now, certainly things, you know, began to change before then. But in the Enlightenment, um, you know, Western minds were so eager to put away the superstition and the religion of the Middle Ages and become rational beings. We're rational beings. We, we can think rationally. We can solve problems. And, and, you know, then you get into the clockwork universe of Newton and others. And um, so this Earth perspective became objectified. You know, well, the Earth is something we can use. 
you know, mountains, trees, rivers, and all of that. Those are resources. Those are things. Whereas to the indigenous person, those were beings. Those were living beings. And so I think with this um, obsession with reason and the human ego, um, much changed. And then, of course, that led right into the Industrial Revolution of the 19th century, and uh, the rest is history, as they say. Carolyn Baker, are there any other thoughts that you could share with us on absorbing and assuming the hospice perspective in the greater realm? Yes. Uh, actually, you know, we subtitled the book uh, How to Live with Death in Mind, but we could have just as well uh, subtitled it How to Live with Life in Mind. I think of Eddie Ellison, who was uh, an inmate in Auschwitz and died there, who wrote in her writings, by excluding death from our life, we cannot live a full life. And by admitting death into our life, we enlarge and enrich it. And so part of the reason I wanted to write the book with Guy is so that we could emphasize how to live with death in mind. And I'm often fond of saying, is there life before death? Uh, let's make sure that we know that and live it. Well, Carolyn Baker, I want to thank you for being with us on Radio Curious. And before we close, I'd like uh to ask you to share with us about an aha or eureka moment in your past that changed your view of the world or your path that you have chosen in life. Sure, I'd be glad to do that. Um, Actually, it was watching a documentary back in 2007 entitled What a Way to Go, Life at the End of Empire. It's a two-hour documentary that can be watched on YouTube in its entirety. Um, because what that did was um, it took me away from looking at all of the problems that we have in the world as separate and helped me to understand that what we were actually looking at was the collapse of industrial civilization. It was then later, uh, you know, like two or three years ago, that I became acutely aware of catastrophic abrupt climate change. But uh, what a way to go was certainly one of those aha moments. And Carolyn Baker, what would you like to do with the rest of your One Precious Life? Exactly what I'm doing now, which is to continue assisting people in, you know, through my books, through coaching, through workshops, to assist people in really looking at our predicament and using it as a doorway, understanding planetary initiation, as a doorway to transformation of consciousness and how to live lives of peace, passion, and purpose, to deeply connect with ourselves, with each other, and with the earth. And finally, as to a book, in addition to The Dark Emotion by Miriam Greenspan that you mentioned earlier, is there another book that you could recommend? Well, I can certainly recommend my next book coming out, Dark Gold, The Human Shadow and the Global Crisis, um, coming out in October. In addition to that, I'd like to recommend Stephen Jenkinson's Die Wise, a wonderful book that came out last year about living and dying. Carolyn Baker, thank you very much for being with us on Radio Curious. Thank you for having me. Dr. Carolyn Baker is a practicing psychotherapist. 
and co-author with Dr. Guy McPherson of Extinction Dialogues, How to Live with Death in Mind. She's also the author of Love in the Age of Ecological Apocalypse, Cultivating the Relationships We Need to Thrive. The book Dr. Baker recommends is Die Wise, A Manifesto for Sanity and Soul by Stephen Jenkinson. This program was recorded on September 20th, 2015. There are over 630 archive editions of Radio Curious on our website, radiocurious.org. They're free to listen, download, and share anytime, anywhere as my gift to you. We appreciate your comments, ideas, and suggestions and like to hear from you. Email is curious at radiocurious.org. Snail mail is 280 North Oak Street, Ukiah, California, 95482. And the phone is 707-462-6541. Angie Voyles Askham is our assistant producer. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 